across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, or click, or scroll to Acts chapter 2, we're going to read a few verses together, and then we're going to pray, and uh, then we're going to look at them for the, uh, the time that we have this morning. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we'll start at. You know what? Some of you should know this off by heart. <laughs> We've looked at it so often. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I know this passage. <laughs> okay, here we go. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would speak to us from your words. Lord, many of us have heard this passage read countless times. We've looked at it many times. We've studied it. We've prayed over it. We've considered it. And you've spoken to us, Lord. You've spoken to us clearly about the sort of church that you want Jubilee to be. And Lord, as we spend a while this morning considering these verses together, I ask you, Lord, would you speak to us again? Lord, would you breathe fresh life onto these verses? Would you Breathe upon them. Holy Spirit, would you apply them to our lives and to this, your church, Lord God, that you might be glorified amongst us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so firstly then, let's look at care. Let's look at care. And this follows on very closely from community. And we looked at that subject last week because it was the strength of their community life together that resulted in their care for one another. In some organisations and indeed some churches, care can become, so a pastoral care, if you like, can be be very, very organised. And it almost happens, if you like, on a military basis. You know, it seems it's so structured and so well disciplined and uh, there's a certain system that you go through and, uh, and that, that's how it happens. And if we're not careful, we can make it an official function, something that's done out of duty rather than something that comes out of community life and love for one another. Does that make, does that make sense if I explain that? Let's not explain it very well. I don't think that was the sort of care that the early church were giving. What it looks like to me here, I think I'm feeding back out of here, Oscar, perhaps you want to just turn that down for me, thank you. What it looks like here is that their care for one another came out of their community life. It came out of the relationships. It came out of living life together. And out of that and out of their love for one another, they did something about it. And they cared for one another. 
Now, let's be clear. I'm not saying that organisation is bad. Actually, it's good. But when you rely on rotors and systems and there's no love there, there's something wrong. So actually, it needs to come out of a love for one another, out of community life. And, uh, and yes, it needs to be helped and structured and organised possibly. But we need to make sure we don't lose the heart. This is so important. We need to make sure we don't lose the heart of it. Because when that happens, it just becomes something that we do out of duty rather than something we want to do out of love. It's interesting, in Acts 7, it's, it's recorded that uh, the two groups of people uh, were arguing over who was uh, getting food and who wasn't getting food. It was the Grecian and Hebraic widows. Some were getting food and some weren't. There was a dispute over, well, they're getting food and they're not, and why isn't that working properly? And some organisation needed to be given to it. It needed to be structured, but it came out of a love. It came out of a care. It came out the sense of community together. As we read through Acts chapter 2, as we have done this morning and indeed did do last week, we find that they were devoted to one another. And that devotion, that love for one another, helped them to care for one another. We see that they sold their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. They responded to need as they saw it. Let's be clear, it doesn't say that they all sold up and all moved into some commune. The text doesn't say that. Yes, there may have been some sharing of homes just like there is today. But it doesn't mean it was compulsory and certainly doesn't mean it was automatic. But it does mean that there was a real care for one another. It does mean that other people's needs were important to them. And in fact, they were obeying what Jesus had spoken to them about. In John chapter 13, we're told that Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give you. This is John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus made it clear. It was a command. It wasn't just a suggestion. It wasn't just a, guys, here's an idea. You might want to consider this. This was an instruction to them. This was a command of the Lord. And they needed to put it into practice. So when we talk about the importance of loving one another, this is why. Because Jesus told us to. His, his instruction to us. But do you notice the flow? Jesus says, it's as I have loved you that you love one another. It comes out of receiving God's love in our heart, that changing us, and therefore us wanting to love others as a result of it. There's a flow to it. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus says, by doing this, other people will know that you are my disciples. It's not by clever advertising or marketing. It's not by sensational services. It's by loving one another. That's what Jesus says. It's by you loving one another that other people will recognize you as my disciples. That's what he tells us to do. So what does it mean? Well, it has to have a practical outworking, mustn't it? 
It isn't just something we mentally agree to. So oh, that's nice, yeah, I must try hard at that, I must, must love one another. That's, that's good. No, no, it must have a practical outworking. We must do something with it. So the illustration that Luke gives us is one of financial help to one another. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had needs. And my guess is that this was only part of their care. It wasn't the whole deal. It was just an illustration. It's giving us a picture of one way in which they are caring for one another. As they have needs, they sold possessions and goods and met that needs. Now, I'll be speaking on growing in generosity in a few weeks' time. And there's a, there's a generosity challenge for us in these verses, isn't there? There really is. The welfare of one another was more important to them than the size of their bank balance. So the question comes to us, doesn't it? Is that true of us? Is that true of you and me? Is the welfare of one another in the church more important than the size of your bank balance or investment portfolio? There's a challenge here, isn't there? The early church responded and gladly met needs. In Acts chapter 4, we're told that there were no needy persons among them. People sold land or homes and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. It means they trusted them to distribute it well. This is not just getting some small change out of their pocket, is it? This is not just, you know, they've got a couple of quid or, or the equivalent and popping it in a bowl as it goes past. This is serious amounts of cash. This is selling lands and homes. It looks like much more than just giving a tithe or giving an offering. But the welfare of one another was important. They cared for one another. It was wholehearted. It was a devotion to one another. So the question for us is, are we devoted like that to one another and to the care of one another? Secondly, we come to atmosphere. Now, those of you who have got your Bibles or phones open will notice the word atmosphere is not in the text. I'm expecting some nods at this point. I can see that. But I think that what what is described here is to do with the atmosphere of what it was like to be part of the early church. Now, the dictionary defines atmosphere thus. The definition of atmosphere is an overall feeling and or effect of a place, specifically if it is an environment of pleasure or interest. An example of atmosphere, it goes on, is the creepy feeling one gets whenever they walk past the old abandoned neighbourhood house which is rumoured to be haunted. Another example of atmosphere, that probably isn't the best example, but never mind. The example of atmosphere, another one, is a romantic restaurant which has candlelight, soft music, bountiful flowers and stunning artwork. That sounds like our dining room, I think. But that's an example of atmosphere. The atmosphere is to do with the feel, how it felt. Did you notice in verse 43 here, we're told everyone was filled with awe. In verse 46, we're told that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was gladness there. There was some joy there. There was awe as well. That's all to do with atmosphere, what it felt like to be part of that community. It felt like God was on the move. Do you agree? 
And the atmosphere looks like one of joy. Do you, do you agree? It looks like joy. It's like together with glad hearts, sincere hearts. They were glad to be with one another. So we've got awe, we've got joy, we've got generosity, we've got miracles going on as well. Uh, we can see that er- uh, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All this was going on. That describes what it felt like. Awe, amazement, joy, generosity, miracles. There was awe because God was at work. In fact, whenever God is at work, awe is an appropriate response. So my question to us this morning, friends, is this. Do we celebrate what God is doing? Do we celebrate his work enough? Are we enthusiastic and joyous about what God is doing? And are we thanking him for that? Too often it's easy, I think, to complain about what God seemingly isn't doing rather than be grateful to him and celebrate what he is doing. I came across a great quote this week from uh, Bill Johnson. He said this, You rarely see what you're not looking for. You rarely see what you're not looking for. And he goes on, The best way to prepare yourself for your own miracle is to rejoice in someone else's. Amen? I think it's so true. If you're not looking for God at work, you're probably not going to see him. If you're not expecting to see evidences of God's grace, his power, and him at work, you'll probably miss it. You probably won't see it because you're not looking for that. And so the challenge to us is this, it's to look for that and to celebrate what God is doing and thank him for it. In the early church, it appears miracles were commonplace. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, we're told. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love that to be said of Jubilee. I would love that to be said of the church in our day, in our nation, that there are many miracles, many wondrous signs, because God is at work and his kingdom is advancing. Don't you yearn for that to be a description of the British church? That's what we want to see, friends. That's what we're asking God for. That we might see that in our day and our time. Let's be asking him that we might see more of his power here, now, in this place, in our day, in our culture, in the church, in this nation. Why should it be so different to what we read here? What's changed? Has God changed? I don't think so. So going back to atmosphere, I do believe that God calls us to change the atmosphere around us. I I think I had a prophetic word on this theme uh, maybe a week or two ago and and, and talked about that um, prophetically. And um, just this week I was talking to another pastor in Derby, a good friend of mine, and uh, he was telling me about a conference he'd just been to in Los Angeles. Not that I'm jealous. I get to go to Manchester. He gets to go to L.A. Anyway, <laughs> bless him. Anyway, he'd been to this conference in L.A., had a great time. We were talking about uh, the conference he'd been to, talking about the guy that had been preaching. And uh, he was telling me about some of the things that he'd heard. And he'd been talking about Jesus being someone 
who brought an atmosphere of change. He, he changed the atmosphere around him. And this got my attention because I was thinking about this in prep- preparation for today. I was thinking about atmosphere and how I'm going to change the atmosphere around us. And, uh, and he was talking about this. So we had some conversation on this. And uh, he went on to describe how this guy had been preaching at this conference, saying that Jesus changed the atmosphere around him from doubt to faith, from judgment to grace, and from lack to abundance. I thought, boy, that sounds good. I like that. Wish I'd come up with that. <laughs> but I made some notes and thought, I'm going to include that today because oh, that's a great description. Jesus went about, he changed the atmosphere around him from doubt to faith, from judgment to grace, from lack to abundance. And friends, just as Jesus changed the atmosphere around him, I believe that God calls us to be an atmosphere changer, to bring the atmosphere of heaven wherever you go. So your school, your university, your place of work, your home, your street, where you spend time with your friends, you can be an atmosphere changer in those places. You can change the atmosphere around you. You can bring joy and peace and faith and grace. You can be that person. You can be the person that when you walk into a room, the atmosphere changes because you bring something of the grace of God with you, the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And as you engage in conversation, as you're around people, something changes in the spiritual atmosphere because God is at work. Don't you want to see that where you are? So often, I think Christians have got a a reputation for being miserable, for standing for things that you shouldn't do, rather than celebrating and talking about what God is doing and the grace that he gives us. I'm not saying sometimes we shouldn't say no to things. I know we should. But listen, when we've got a reputation for just doing that and not bringing, bringing grace and joy and forgiveness and hope to people, something's wrong. God wants us to be those that change the atmosphere around us. And friends, you can be that person. This week, tomorrow, even this afternoon, you can be that person. By being one who is full of the Holy Spirit. Allowing him to lead you. Being full of his joy. Bringing the atmosphere of heaven to every place that you put your foot. Amen? If we've really heard that, if that's really landed in our spirit, if God has really spoken to us about that, boy, do I want to be around some of your workplaces this week (laughs) and see what God might do. Yeah, God might be at work. Things could be different because you're bringing the presence of Jesus, the atmosphere of heaven, to where you are. Let's keep going. Worship was our next one. And not much is said directly about worship in this passage, but it's most certainly inferred. And Luke tells us about the breaking of bread, about prayer, and the fact they praised God together. This is worship, isn't it? They met together to worship. Now, I know worship is more about more than just a gathering together. I know it's about how we live our lives and that as well. But in this context, what I'm talking about is their gatherings together. 
They met together. In fact, it seems you couldn't stop them from meeting together. There's that fear in the passage, isn't it? They met together in the temple courts, and then when that was finished, they met together in their homes. And it's clear that as though one meeting finishes, they went on to another one to spend time with one another. And it seems that no one had to tell them that they should meet together. There isn't an instruction here that they should do this. It just seems to happen. It's because they wanted to be with one another. Such was their love for one another. Such was the community life. They wanted to be with one another. They didn't need persuading it was a good idea. They just did it. They didn't need convincing of it. Is that true of us? Now, clearly over time, this wasn't always the case. I realize that. The writer to the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So clearly by that time, some were in the habit of not meeting together. And the writer to the Hebrews addresses that very directly. That will be true in our day as well. But here in Acts chapter 2, you couldn't stop them. They were just meeting together at every opportunity to worship and be with one another. And we know, too, this was a church that prayed. And when they prayed, the Holy Spirit came in power. Look at chapter 4, verse 31, for example. When they prayed, God worked. Things happened. Now, that's the sort of church that I want to be part of. Don't you? When we do the church pray... Things happen. Now, we know something of the worship of the early church because a number of the letters that are in the New Testament uh, are written to different churches and some of them address situations that have arisen in those churches. So, for example, Paul had to write to the Corinthians and correct some of their practice when it came to gathering together. The Corinthian church was a pretty wild, full-on, charismatic, full-of-the-Holy-Spirit church. And frankly, they needed to calm down a bit and get some order to their meetings in order that God could be glorified and people could actually hear what was going on and hear from God and uh, encourage one another in a way that was in order and decent. I don't think most of the British church are in the same danger there. Would you agree? For us, we're normally fairly good with order and structure, doing things decently. And yeah, I think we're okay on spiritual gifts. But you know what? I think the Holy Spirit wants to stir up more of that in us and more of his presence. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14. It's interesting, isn't it? In one breath, Paul says this to the Corinthians... Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Whereas in the next, you know, in almost the same breath, he's saying, and you do things decently and in order and let a couple of people speak and, and, and then weigh it. What he doesn't do is tell them to stop it. He actually says, no, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Even though they needed some correction, even though they needed some guidelines and some help in how to do it well, he didn't tell them to stop. He told them to pursue it more, to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. We'll be looking at growing in that gift in a few weeks' time. God speaks to encourage his church. 
I had a conversation with somebody just this morning. And they were in a meeting here a week or two ago. And there were some prophetic words brought. And they felt that, yeah, that, that word applies to me and my situation. Something they were facing in their life. And they told me just this morning that uh, as something happened in, in the last couple of weeks, they held on to what God had spoken. They held on to what they had heard here. They held on to what God had spoken into their life. And they thought, yes, God, you're going to do something here because you've spoken. See, God speaks. He encourages. He brings faith. He does that. We want to see that more and more and more. I think sometimes we can take it so lightly. Oh, yeah, God's speaking. God spoke to us. You know, I've been in a charismatic church for probably about 20 years now. My previous church experience uh, was in a more traditional church. And there wasn't the expectation of God speaking just like that at that time. So I've been in this sort of, this sort of world for the last 20 or so years. I think it's easy to get thinking, oh yeah, God speaks to us. Let's just press the pause button a moment. Let's just rewind it. Think about it for a second. The God of heaven who created everything, the God of heaven and earth, all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty, creator of the earth, everything you see, solar systems, sun, galaxies, he speaks to you and to me. Shouldn't that astound us? Shouldn't that amaze us that God speaks to us? Who am I? Why should God speak to me? But he does, and he speaks to you. And so often we can think, oh yeah, God speaks to us. No, no, God speaks. When God spoke once, he spoke the world into being. That's a powerful word, isn't it? God's word brought life. Why is it any different now? It's not. God's word brings life. His word brings hope. His written word speaks to us. His prophetic words comes to our spirit. God speaks to us, friends. That should amaze us. And he speaks to us today. So I want us to build a church where we enthusiastically gather to worship and pray, where we eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, where we eagerly desire God's manifest presence, and where we all play a part. Because actually we can all play a part in this, can't we? New Testament worship involved everyone. It was not a performance by a few, but participation by many. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to build. But finally, this passage in Acts chapter 2, and just around here, speaks of growth. It speaks of growth. This was a growing church. The early church was a growing church. Think about it for a moment. In Acts 1, we're told that around about 120 or so gathered. That's not dissimilar to us. Around about 120. In Acts 2, verse 41, we're told that 3,000 were added. 3,000. In a moment, it seems. In Acts 2.47, we're told that people were being saved on a daily basis. By Acts chapter 4, we're told the number of men grew to about 5,000. So it's fairly safe to assume that there were women and children on top of that number as well. Think about it. 
Think about how it would have been. In one moment, 120. Then Peter preaches. Now, without wishing to do Peter a disservice, it probably wasn't the best sermon ever. It probably wasn't the most carefully constructed. He hadn't been away to theological college and trained on how to put a preach together and what to study and what, what words to include and how to bring a conclusion and a challenge and appeal. He hadn't done all that. He had been with Jesus, though. And he was, more importantly, full of the Holy Spirit and anointed by God. And so, even though he's not an experienced preacher, he preaches the best message he can. The Holy Spirit anoints his word. God's come with power. And suddenly, 3,000 people are saved. To give you an idea, that's around about 12 of these cinemas full of people. So look around, around about 250 seats in here. That's 12 lots of these, just saved in one afternoon. Not a bad afternoon's work by Peter, really. Or by the anointing of the Spirit. We need to see, we're told in Acts 2.47, that it's God who saves and adds people. And we need to see that. It is God who saves and adds. And we need to make sure that we don't try and do God's job for him. Because he is the one at work. He is the one who saves. He is the one who adds. He's the one that builds his church. Amen? But let's give him something great to work with. He's at work building his church. So I want to challenge us to be open to growth and to be asking God to grow us. Actually, want that. Now, that, that will bring change. And it would have brought a lot of change to the early church, 120 to 3,000 in one afternoon. That's a whole lot of headache for the administrator. You'd have enjoyed that, wouldn't you? But it would have brought some change. And as God adds to us, there will be some change. You know, you won't know everybody. You probably won't sit in the same seat. We probably even won't be in the same location. You won't have the same relationships with people. Things will feel different. However, the early church faced all of those issues. And they pressed through them. And they pressed through the challenges because of the mission that God had given them. They saw that it was worth it. They saw that it was worth pushing through the challenges to get to where God wanted them to be. They saw that it was worth working it through. And I want to encourage us that it's worth working through those challenges because of the mission that God has called us to. I want us to be more effective at reaching more people. I want us to have a greater capacity to serve the city and to reach the nations. And I know you do as well. But to do that will probably require more people. And I know that you want to see more people saved and added and reached with the gospel and the kingdom of God come to different communities in this city and beyond. I know you want that. But we need to embrace the challenges that will come with it and work through them. And that may be hardest for those of you who have been around the longest because things will change in that. Things will be different. But, friends, listen, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. It's worth it if we see more people saved and added. 
It's worth it if more churches are planted. It's worth it if we can serve the city and the places that God has called us to in a greater way. It's worth it if more nations are reached and more people groups get to hear about the good news of Jesus. Would you agree? It really is. This is what God has called us to. This is what the Lord has got for us. God made his world so that healthy things grow. It's true of children. It's true of animals and plants. And it's true of churches. God has designed it this way. And time and time again in Scripture, you get a picture of the kingdom of God advancing and growing. Time and again, we see it in different places right throughout the Old and the New Testament. The kingdom of God advancing and growing. This is God's normal. That's normal for him. And friends, he wants it to be normal for us as well. So let's wrap, let's wrap up. Perhaps the band can come back up, please. Thank you. Wouldn't it be great to be part of a church like that? A church like this, the sort of church we described this morning? Wouldn't you want to be part of a church like that? I would. I'd like to be part of a church like that. And friends, that's the sort of church that God has called us to build and to make jubilee. And so we need to keep this picture before us. And as I said last week, when we describe Jubilee as wanting to be a church where we love God, we love one another, we love those who don't know Jesus yet, we, re- we serve the city and reach nations, they're not just a few good ideas, they're right from this book. They're right from God's word. It's what he has for us. It's what he wants his church to be. And I believe this is his blueprint. This is God's blueprint for his church. I want to encourage you this morning to let's go for this. Let's build a church like that. It's an invitation, as I said last week, to a journey. And we know that most journeys have some bumps and some twists in the road. Maybe a few detours. Maybe some unexpected roadworks on the way. But listen, God has called us to this journey. And he knows what the destination is. And he's called us to join us, join him in it. He's the one building his church. He's called us to join him in what he's doing. So I want to urge us over these uh, few weeks as we've looked at Acts 2 for a couple of weeks and we, we get back and look at what God's speaking to us about and what's important to us and what he's spoken over us as a church. As we refer to that and speak into that and talk about some of the areas that he wants us to grow into, Let's keep going for that, and let's be asking him to build a great church that sees men and women reach with the gospel, that sees the kingdom of God advanced, sees many people saved and added, discipled and sent for his glory in his world. Amen? Amen. Can we stand together, please? I'm going to pray. And then uh, Caroline and the band are going to lead us in a song as we close. I felt this would be an appropriate song to finish with after what we've talked about this morning. And as we sing and worship, we will take up our offering for this morning as well. Uh, so if you're regularly part of Jubilee, this is your opportunity to give. 
If you're visiting us this morning, please feel very free to let the, the bucket go past. If you've filled out a Keep in Touch card, you can uh, pop it in the offering bucket as well. That might be an easy way of, of getting it back to us. Uh, so let's pray and then we'll worship as we close. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this blueprint. We thank you that you've spoken to us about the sort of church you want us to build for you. And Lord, thank you actually that you're the one building your church. But Lord, we say this morning we want to give you something great to work with. And we pray that you'd use us, that you'd work with us, in us and through us to be part of what you're doing in this city, in this nation and in the nations, Lord. Thank you that your kingdom is advancing and growing. Thank you that you, uh, the, at the end of time, your church is going to be glorious. And so, Father, we pray, would you build a glorious church now in preparation for that? And we give ourselves to that mission again this morning. Lord, we give ourselves to you again this morning and say, Lord, would you use us for your glory? Would you use us for your great advance? And would you use us to make Jesus famous? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.